Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. Well, friends, today we come to the end of our study of the book of Revelation. We're in the final chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, and we're going to go through it phrase for phrase, verse for verse, and oh, the truths, oh, the joys that are in this chapter. Well, if you have missed any of our study on Revelation, you can find all of these sermons that's in this collection. You can find them at awakenedtograce.com or download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, and there you can listen to each one of them and walk with us through each chapter of the book. Well, today as we come to the end, we are calling this the greatest epilogue ever written. And indeed, chapter 22 is like an epilogue. Everything is going to come full circle. So let's take God's Word together, try to get in a comfortable place, and let's learn together what God has to say to His people. I'm glad you're joining me today on Awakened to Grace. How many is ready to go to Revelation 22? Today is the conclusion. What a book, amen? What a study. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we get ready to walk through the final chapter, the last handful of verses, may your Holy Spirit be in this room with us. And may your Spirit reveal to us Everything that you want us to know for this morning's study. God, I thank you for this amazing book. It has changed my life, Lord. Not only down through the years as I've read and studied it. But God, this particular study, the last many weeks that we have invested, has absolutely changed my life. It's changed my perspective. It's changed my view of the world. And of eternity. And God I pray that what you want to say to us today. That we indeed would have ears to hear it. In Jesus mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well I hope that through our study. I don't know where your knowledge was before our study. But here at the conclusion. I hope that you have gained not only a greater appreciation for the book of Revelation, but that your knowledge has exploded. We began with looking at chapter 1 and understanding who the seven churches were. And we saw how they were not only literal, physical churches, but they are historical in their context, and they are most certainly prophetic in their context. Even to our very day today, as you and I, I believe, are living in the age of the church of Laodicea, who was the final church. Then we found ourselves in chapters 4 and 5, and we saw the coming, uh, the, the rapture of the church, the harpazo of the church, and we found ourselves around the throne of God, and we learned who the 24 elders were and who the four and living creatures were. 
We saw that that was the great Bema judgment seat of Christ where the crowns and the rewards for the way that we lived on this earth will be given to the people of God. And then we saw the Lamb of God, our kinsman redeemer in chapter 5. We saw him take the seals. We saw him take the scroll that was sealed seven times that no one in heaven or on earth was able or worthy to take the scroll. And yet Christ was. And we saw Christ take the scroll. In chapter 6. We saw him break all seven seals. Which are the beginnings of the seven year tribulation period. And we saw the seven seals of judgment. Including the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then we made our way to chapter 7 and we saw the 144,000 sealed Jews and those who would be martyred, what that the Bible calls the tribulation saints. And then we made our way to what are called the trumpet judgments and the seven trumpet judgments. We made our way to the midpoint, to the Last three and a half years of the tribulation. We went to Daniel 9 verses 24 to 27. And we understood God's calendar of events. And then we came to the Antichrist. And what the Bible teaches about this beast. We saw his mark. What the Bible calls the mark of the beast. And we see today how the earth is being prepared for a totalitarian system. What is going to be a one world global system. Then we saw Israel's role in chapter 13. And then we come to the table of contents of the rest of God's agenda in chapters 14 and 15. And then we saw we came to this great city named Babylon. And we learned what Babylon means. That it's both a city and a system. And we saw its fall in chapters 17 and 18. We've met the two witnesses and their role in the last days. We've encountered through the book over 60 angels. And the role that angels will have. And how prevalent they will be in the workings of God in the last day. Then we came to chapter 19. And there we saw... The battle of Armageddon, the great and final battle of human history. We saw the second coming of Jesus Christ on that amazing white horse. And then in chapter 20, we are introduced to what is called the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ. And then in chapter 20 comes the great white throne judgment. And now I hope you know the difference between hell and the lake of fire. And that now you understand the second death versus eternal life. And then last week we were in chapter 21 with the new Jerusalem. What is going to be eternity? What is truly heaven? And we studied the new Jerusalem. Today, as we come to the conclusion, we're going to finish what God wants us to know of the new heavens and the new earth. And then we're going to see God's final warning, God's final things that he wants to say to humanity. Has it not been a thrilling, thrilling study? I hope your knowledge has grown. I hope your appreciation has grown. And today, let's walk through the final chapter 
the last remaining verses. Caleb, brother, take us beginning in chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So let's pause right there. Now, this is very fascinating to me. Remember what we said as we studied the New Jerusalem last week. This is called the blessed city of nevermores. We'll see it in a couple more verses. There's not going to be a sun or a moon or no need for a candle or light because the glory of God is going to be an eternal and a permanent light. And what else does God want us to know about this city? That coming out of the throne of God is going to be what the Bible calls the river of life. Bright as clear crystal. I think in my mind sometimes what that river of life must really be like. You know, I don't put a lot of stock in people who say that they died and went to heaven or went to hell and then came back. I think certainly those things can happen, but I don't put a ton of stuff. A few stories I've heard that bears witness to a scripture, bears witness with my spirit. But I did hear one lady one time that did die and she wasn't born again. And she went to this awful place called hell. And for whatever reason, the Lord allowed her to come back to life. And the doctors were able to save her. But I'll never forget what she said. And it did bear witness with me. And she said in that conscious place of torment, that place where everything was felt and everything was remembered. She said she could remember every sermon. She could remember every scripture she had ever heard. She remembered every sin that she had ever committed. And all of her sin was before her. And she knew in her soul that God was just in His judgment of her. She said there was no demanding a redo or blaming of God. She knew that God had been just. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, everything in my being was dry. There was no liquid. No liquid. Everything was dry. Everything in me was dry. And I think what a comparison that for those of us who are born again, for those of us who know the Lord, do you know what the Bible says that we shall enjoy? The river of life. I want you to think about this. The last verse of chapter 21, it says that our names who are born again, our names are written in the Lamb's book of what? Of life. And here in verse 1 of 22, we see the river of what? Life. And on either side of the river is the tree of what? Life. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember what happened in Exodus when the death angel came over the land of Exodus and God's people were told, put the blood over the doorpost of your home. And when they put the blood over the doorpost and the death angel came, what did he do to the people of God? He passed over them. 
And do you know what will happen at that great day of the judgment of God when the second death comes? The Bible says that it will have no power over us. What does that mean? It means it literally will not recognize you. Do you know why? Because we are covered in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And that's why later in the chapter, it says that if anyone's going to enter that city, you must wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb. Woe to those churches that have taken out the blood. For without the blood, there is no remission of sin. Friends, without the blood of Jesus, there's no forgiveness of your sin. But for those that you're born again, for those that the blood of Christ has been applied to your life, that second death will not even see us, will not even recognize us, will have no power against us. And what we will know, we will not be death. What we'll know is life. Why? Because our names are in the Lamb's book of life. We'll enjoy the river of life. We'll know, we'll eat of the tree of life. Friends, we've been given eternal life. Amen. Amen. There are times, I don't know if you ever get extremely thirsty. There are times I'll take a cold, cold bottle of water and it satisfies, doesn't it? And you know what I'll think? I'll think to myself, Lord, may one day, may I drink of the river of your city. What a satisfaction it's going to be. Can we say amen? Amen. Continue, Caleb. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Read that verse again. Let's just start from verse 2. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, isn't that interesting? On either side of the river is the tree of life yielding its fruit 12 months. Does that mean that we're going to recognize months in heaven? I heard one Bible teacher say, talking about the ultimate fruit of the month club. (laughs) And it's going to yield its fruit. Isn't Isn't that interesting? For the healing of the nations. Read the next verse, Caleb. Verse 3. And let's link this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. No longer will anything be accursed. Now say amen if you're with me right now. Do you know what our greatest problem is? I would have said, before studying this, Satan. Satan is the greatest problem. You know that's not true. At this point, Satan is long gone. He's going to be bound for a thousand years. And yet, men's hearts will be depraved. Huh. There'll still be those who sin in the millennial kingdom. You know why? Because it shows that even in perfect environments, men's hearts are depraved. Do you know what our greatest problem is? It's not Satan, although he is a major problem. But Christ is going to deal with him. Our problem is the curse. The curse that entered 
The world through sin. That's our problem. And see, pay attention. What did Paul say in Corinthians? The last enemy to be defeated by Christ, not Satan. Remember when Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years, Revelation chapter 20? It's not even Jesus that binds him. It's an angel. Satan is not the main problem. The curse is the main problem. And what is going to happen? God is going to remove the curse. And there's going to be no more curse. Friends, that's why there's death on the earth. That's why there's disease on the earth. Hello? That's why there's blindness. Come on now, right? And God is going to remove it all. Amen. And why does it say leaves its leaves are for the healing of the nations it's going to yield its fruit you know i was even thinking about this this week you know for most of us most of our medical conditions what 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 hurts most of us the food we eat and what's going to happen when we eat in that blessed eternal city of god you know what friends there's going to be no curse in our food all of the curse is going to be removed. Amen? And you're going to enjoy that chocolate cake with no curse. Wow. Amen. Continue, please. Verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Oh, let's pause right there. They will see his face. How do you and I pray right now? We pray with faith in our hearts. We pray to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he tells us his eye is on the righteous. His ear is open to our plea. Yes, we pray, and yes, we're connected to God, and yes, we pray. But listen, friends, it's not face to face. Do you know what it will be in that city? Face to face. Can you imagine what that will be? Go on, Caleb. Verse 5, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Look at that. Friends, that forever and ever is eternity. Those who are apart from Jesus, the Bible says in the lake of fire, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever my friends, in that city where the people of God will be, there is no night. There is no torment. There's no sorrow. There's no death. There's no pain. There's no disease. Why? Because the curse will have been removed. Amen. Continue, please. Verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So if you will, if you're someone that, that writes in your Bible, I would just circle the words trustworthy and true. I don't know if you have the feeling I do, but when I read such glorious words, one of my first thoughts is, God, this is, this is too good to be true. This is too amazing. Paul says, it has not entered into the mind of man, into the imagination or the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love him. 
God, are these things too good to be true? And what does God say right on the heels of such thinking? God says, no, these words are trustworthy. They are faithful and they are true. Amen. What blessed words of the Bible. Now, Caleb, take, read the rest of that verse and then take us to Revelation chapter 1, please. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 1. I'm entitling today the greatest epilogue ever written. And what Revelation 22, in, in reality, it seems as though it is an epilogue. It is a summary Of everything that we have learned. It's a final word. It's a word to the reader. It's an epilogue. And I want us to go back for a moment. And I want us to compare the first three verses of Revelation 1. With the finale. uh, With with the uh, uh, finale of Revelation 22. And let's see the comparison here. So Caleb take me. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. All right. Now, let's go back for a moment. What is the purpose of the book of Revelation? You must understand the Apostle John was the last and final apostle living on the earth. All of the apostles had died off. All of the eyewitnesses to Jesus are now dying. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written around 60-ish in the 60s A.D. The book of John and Revelation were not written until near the 90s. So they are dying off, and John is the last of the remaining apostles. You have to understand... Jesus is going to answer the questions that the disciples had way back in Matthew 24. Remember, the disciples came to Jesus privately on the Mount of Olives and said, Tell us, when will these things be? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And what's going to be the end of the age? And has not every single church age since then asked the exact same questions? When is Christ going to come? And do you remember what Jesus told the disciples? Jesus said, it's not for you to know. And he said, the angels in heaven do not know. And the Son of Man does not know. Only the Father knows. Now I want to show you why I believe that changed. I believe what happened was once Christ fulfilled his mission on the cross, was buried and raised again on the third day, and then received a glorified body and ascended up to heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of God, I believe then Christ knows, okay, all of what the Father had planned. He humbled himself. He became a little lower than the angels, Scripture says. He did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but humbled himself down to become like us. So now he's seated at the right hand of God. And some preachers preach that Christ still doesn't know when he's going to come back. That he's just waiting on God to say, 
Now's the time. I don't think that. Why? Because of Revelation verse 1. Now, read it again slowly, Caleb, and let's, and let's pick this apart. First of all, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't have you read it. What does the revelation mean? It literally means to unveil or to reveal. If I had a painting up here today with a silk cloth over it, and if I were to unveil it, if I were to reveal it, I would be, it would be the revelation of the painting. What is the book of Revelation? It is not the revelation of the Antichrist or of prophecy or of the mark of the beast or of the battle of Armageddon. The book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus. That's why every verse in the book should cause you to worship Jesus. Amen. Okay? The revelation of Jesus. Now, what does it say, Caleb? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. God gave who? Christ. Who does not know? The angels in heaven do not know, and the Son of Man does not know, only the Father. But who did God reveal it to? He gave it to him to give to who? What's it say? To show to his servants. Who are the servants? He's answering the question... That not only the disciples had back in Matthew 24, but that every Christian of every church age going forward is going to have, when is Christ coming? What is the sign of the end of the times? When will these things be? And he says, I'm going to show them to my servants. Is that singular or plural? Because, friends, it includes us. (laughs) Amen? That we would know the heart of God. That we would know the plans of God. That we would know what awaits us in eternity. That So God showed to him that he might show to his servants. And then what's the last phrase? The things that must soon take place. The things that must soon take place. Which is what is echoed in chapter 22. Verse 2, please. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now, have we not met this angel over and over through the book? Sixty encounters with angels. Continue. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. For the time is near. Is near. Now, Caleb, take us back to chapter 22 and take me through these scriptures again. So, hear the epilogue here. Blessed are those who keep the words of this book, the testimony of Jesus, the word of God. Why? Because the time is near. Take me through this again, Caleb, chapter 22, please. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Mm. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Do you see the link there? The things that must soon take, that's chapter 1, verse 1, continue. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Continue. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. So I told you this in the beginning of the study, and I'll remind you here at the end of the study. 
If you want to do a fascinating personal study on Revelation, do what's called a sight and a sound study. Make a column and note everything in every chapter that John says, then I saw. And then note everything that John says, then I heard. And if you do a sight and sound study of Revelation, you'll find it quite fascinating. Continue, please. Verse 9. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now, that's highly important. Now, what did... Now, remember... John is introduced to an angel in chapter 1, and he's going to encounter them many, many times throughout the chapter. Here at the end, John is so overwhelmed by everything that God has shown him. He's so overwhelmed by the visions he's received that what does he do? He falls down to worship the angel. And we're going to spend some time in December studying angels. We're going to study the roles, the responsibilities, the nature, the creations. We're going to study everything we know that the Bible teaches about angels. And I think it's going to be quite fascinating. But here is a fundamental principle that you need to know that is a biblical principle. Do you know that you and I are never, ever to pray to an angel? And you and I are never to worship an angel. That is a biblical principle. And if you want to take it further, well, well, let me, well, yeah, let me say this. People who really get into angels, no. The, listen, th- think, I'm sorry, there's a hundred things running through my mind right now. Whew, slow down, Chad. Slow it down. You've had a lot of coffee and not access to a bathroom right now. Slow it down. (laughs) Angels are so prevalent, beginning in the book of Genesis all the way through the scriptures. But do you know there's not one defining passage about angels? There's not one section of the Bible. If angels are that prominent through the scriptures, shouldn't there be an entire chapter on them that tells us everything we need to know about them? No, there's not. You know why? Because it's not prominent. It shouldn't be the prominent focus. Christ is who we worship. We learn things about angels. We glean things about angels. But there's no definitive scripture that says, here's everything you need to know. Why? Because they're not the subject. They're not the focus. Christ is. Because He is who should be worshipped. So let me tell you, if an angel ever appears to you, I've I've, I've already, if if an angel ever appears to me, I'm going to say, I don't know what I would say. I would actually probably pass out just thinking about it. I, I don't. But think about this. Anybody who, anyone know who Joseph Smith was? Founder of the Mormon church? Who appeared to him? An angel. Anybody know who Muhammad was? Founded Islam? Who appeared to him? An angel. Let me tell you, I don't care. I don't care if you ever have an angelic counter. 
you better worship Jesus. Because, listen, the Bible says Satan can appear as an angel of what? And look at Joseph Smith and Muhammad. Look how many people have been led astray in deception because it was a quote-unquote angelic visit. No. Angels are not our focus. Jesus is. Jesus is. So beware. Don't get caught up in this mystic angel stuff. No, 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 no. We focus on Jesus. We're, we're not. The only angel in the Bible that ever demanded worship was who? Lucifer. And look how much trouble. I got him kicked out of heaven for it. And if you want to take it further... You know, there's debate throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes the Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared, and many believe that was Christ precarnate. Was it Christ? When, when the angel of the Lord appeared as the captain of the host of the armies of, of the Lord in, uh, I believe it's Joshua 5, before Joshua went to Jericho, was that the Lord Jesus Christ who he stood before? Yes. You know how we know? Because he said, worship. An angel would have never done that. Angels are not to be worshipped. They are fellow servants with us. Amen? Amen. Caleb, continue, please. Verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now, did we not hear that in chapter 1? For the time is near. Now, the next verse. These two verses really intrigue me. The time is near. So what's the conclusion? Caleb, read the next verse. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now, isn't that fascinating? The time is near. So those who are going to serve God, let them go and serve God. Those who are going to love sin, let them go and embrace their sin. But here's the point. The time is near. Can I do a little teaching right now? You okay right now? Can, can we just dive deep for a moment? Go to 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. I want to be honest with you. In my mid-20s, this really perplexed me. I'm a young pastor trying to grow a church. I don't know anything about the book of Revelation. I thought I did, but I didn't. And I'm confused. And I come to the Lord as humbly as I can. And, and I tell the Lord, I, honestly, Lord, I, you see my heart. I'm not being flippant. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being rude at all. But, Lord, I really need help with this. And I read this passage, the time is near. Behold, I come quickly. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I felt like the Lord wasn't being... Up front with the church. And I know God's not deceptive. And I know that the Lord never sins. And I told the Lord. I said, Lord, this is my problem. It's not your problem. It's my problem. But I'm just going to be honest with you, Lord. I feel like you're tricking the church. Why did you not say in the Bible, why didn't you just come out and say it's, it's probably going to be about 2,000 years. I mean, it's going to be a while. Why have you let every age of the church look for your coming and then die in disappointment because they were not the generation to see Jesus? 
Why would you let it go 2,000 plus years? Why didn't you just say, it'll be a minute? I didn't understand. And thank God, the Lord didn't zap me. (laughs) He was very gracious and he was very kind. I mean, this really bothered me. It was a legitimate question that I had. And it really bothered me. And the Lord was so kind to answer me out of the Bible. Friends, let me tell you, the Bible is its own commentary. It doesn't need your opinion, and it doesn't need my opinion. The Bible speaks for itself. And the Lord let me wrestle with that for a while, and then I'll never forget when he showed me 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Why does the Bible say the time is near, but yet it's been over 2,000 years? Listen to what it says. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now look at that. The Lord said, Chad, do you want to know why it's my will for every generation of the church to hope in my coming, to long for my appearing? Because it purifies you. Friends, let me ask you right now. What sin in your life would you walk away from if you really believed the Lord would come tonight? Who would you ask forgiveness of if you truly believed Jesus would come tonight? What things would you make right? What bitterness would you let go of? What hurt would you forgive? What things of the past would you change if you really believed Jesus was coming? What would you do different with your money? What missionaries would you support? What gospel would you invest in? What would you do different if you really believed Jesus was on the cusp of coming? See, it purifies us. When we hope in the appearing of Jesus. Amen. You know the Bible teaches five crowns that can be won. I believe there's many more than that. But the Bible identifies for us five crowns. That will be awarded at the Bema judgment seat of Christ to believers. And you know what one of the crowns are? Longing for the coming of Christ. Longing for his appearing. Do you see? And what did we say last week? How dull. And how earthy is the mind that never thinks about heaven. That never lives for the coming of Jesus. But they have so many strings attaching them to this world. No, my friends, I want to cut every string. I want to long for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read a great book one time by Max Lucado on the coming of Christ. and He gave a great analogy. His daughters, who were young at the time, Max had been on an extended preaching trip, and he had been out of the country, and he was set to come home on a Friday night, and he had the most remarkable gifts for his little girls. And his wife shared with him that, yes, his girls wanted to see him, 
but they were so disappointed that he was coming home on a Friday night. Do you know why? Because they had made plans for a sleepover with a friend. And Max said in that book, if my girls knew what awaited them, if they knew the gifts that I had brought for them, they would have longed for my coming. And you know, we're the same way. We get all distracted in this world. We get tied down with things of this world. That there's some of you right now in your hearts. You say, I don't know if I want Jesus to come back. No, my friends. You and I have no idea. What's he said? He's coming with recompense in his hand. He's coming with rewards in his hand. You and I cannot even fathom what it's going to be when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We are to long for it. Do you long for this world? Or do you long for the coming of Jesus? I want to live for that. Why? Because, Caleb, read verse 2 for me one more time, and then we'll move on. Read what it says. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Now, isn't that interesting? Beloved, who did God call beloved? Jesus, when he was baptized. We're in the same category, amen? We're the sons and daughters of God. We are the beloved of God. He says, beloved, you're children of God now. But listen, it does not yet appear what you shall be. You know what I think that means? I think that means having the glorified body just as Jesus did. Can I let some of my crazy show for just a minute? I've held a lot of it back during the study because I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but... The text is here, and it calls for it. So let me just show you some of my crazy right here. Do you know what I believe about eternity? I believe it will be multi-dimensional. Multi-dimensional. See, you and I live in such a limited world. You and I live in a three-dimension universe. Length, width, uh, uh, length, width, and depth. That's all we know. Three dimensions. That's all we know. We're quite limited. When Christ had his glorified body, what kind of, why is it that in John 21, when the disciples are cowarding in a room behind literally a locked door, what did Jesus do? Do you remember? He appeared through the wall. How in the world did he do that? Because he's multidimensional. How is it that when he's eating dinner with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and when their eyes come open, all of a sudden, Jesus vanishes? How could he do that? Multidimensional. How is it that Jesus could eat boiled fish with Peter and then ascend on a cloud up into heaven to be on the right hand of God? How could that? Multidimensional. How do angels come and go from this earth into heaven? Multidimensional. Friends, there is a world that you and I have no knowledge of apart from what the Word of God teaches us. And what does it mean when it says that even as He is, so shall we be? Friends, there is more that awaits us than our human brains can even fathom. Anybody pay attention to the news this week? William Shatner 
got to go into the fringe of space. Anybody pay attention to that? Anybody see how emotional he got thanking Jeff Bezos? I thought he ought to be thanking the creator of all of this, not flipping Jeff Bezos. Friends, there's a world. There is a world to come. We studied the New Jerusalem last week. The Bible teaches that its height, its width is going to be 1,500 miles. But its height is going to be 1,500 miles high. Friends, that's so far above the stratosphere. How is that possible? It's going to be multidimensional. You and I live in a very, very limited physical universe. But not Christ. And not eternity. Well... Let's continue. Revelation 22. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, we saw that phrase in chapter 1. What is Alpha and Omega? That is the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's no different. We use the same expression in our language today. We say from what? A to Z. That's no different. He's the first and he's the last. He's the beginning. He's the end. Continue. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life (laughs) and that they may enter the city by the gates. Praise God. Those who have washed their robes. Come on, say amen if you're with me right now. Those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb may have the what? The right. What's this mean? Go back to John chapter 1, verse 12. Jesus came to his own. His own did not receive him, but to as many who did receive him, to them gave he the what? The right. The power, the right to become the sons and daughters of God. Friends, what's this mean? You and I have the legal right to enter heaven's gates because we belong to God. We have right, legal right, because we are the sons and the daughters of God. Amen. Romans chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. To, if we live, we live to Christ. If we die, we die to Christ. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Friends, that means you're the property of Jesus Christ. You belong to God from now and all the way into eternity. And that's why the second death will never harm you. That's why the second death will not recognize you because you are the blood-bought property of Jesus. Amen. So what about you today? Have you washed your robes? Have you washed your robes? What's the old song say? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside your garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
There's a fountain, it's flowing for the soul, unclean, oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments, are they spotless, are they white as snow, oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Only those that have robes washed in the blood will have the right to enter the city. Caleb, tell us who is outside the city. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Outside. Outside, can you even fathom? Can you even fathom that? We saw a similar list in chapter 21. Sorcery, what did we say about that last week? It's witchcraft. It'd be Wiccans, pagans. Those who, with palm readings and horoscopes and tarot cards and occultic practices... It's witchcraft, my friends. And let me tell you, the Lord hates witchcraft. Let me tell you, I'm so sensitive to it. I cannot even watch or follow Harry Potter. Because it's sorcery, my friends. It's sorcery. And if you follow such things and you have these things in your home, you should heed this scripture. Sorcery will be outside the gates. The sexually immoral, friends. Let me tell you, I sat with, I sat with uh, a leader in our city this week, and he was, last week, and he was sharing with me about how he, well, we were talking about transgender and homosexual issues. We were talking about these things, and He was talking about how he supports the LGBTQ and things like that. And let me tell you, my friends, let let me just speak to my church. The church today puts LGBTQ over here, but seems to put our sexual sins over here. Sexual immorality is homosexuality. But it's also Christians who sleep with other people. It's also affairs. Okay? It's also couples who are living together outside the bonds of marriage. Let me tell you, my friends, these are not church issues. These are God's issues. These are not standards that the church has created. These are standards that God has created. And you and I cannot change them. 
And our government cannot change it. And our culture cannot change it. And the Supreme Court cannot change it. They're so far above their pay grade, it's not even funny. No one can change God's law. No one. And I'm just telling you pastorally, you may walk into this church week after week, and you may sing our songs, and you may gain out of the messages. You may take notes. Friends, you may open your checkbook, and you may tie the generous gifts. But if you're sexually immoral today, you'll find yourself outside that city. And I love you. And that's why I'm telling you, I would heed this scripture. Those who practice falsehood, I'm telling you, listen, my friend, I want you to hear this pastor's heart. Some of you right now, you love falsehood. You lie just to see what you can get away with. You lie just because it's a game to you. Some of you right now are cheating your employer. Some of you right now, you cheat your taxes every single year. Some of you cheat and you cheat and you cheat and you cheat and you love it. And my friends, you'll find yourself outside the gates. Again, what did we say last week? Are these isolated incidences? No, this is a pattern. This is a lifestyle. These are habitual sins. If you've had an affair in the past, you can be forgiven of it. You've committed murder in the past, you can be forgiven of it. You've cheated before in the past, you can be forgiven of it. But if you embrace that sin and it's part of your lifestyle and you live in it day in and day out and it's part of your rhythm, no. You'll find yourself outside that city. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, that shall we also reap, the word says. Now, I've given you the bad news. Now let me give you the great news. When God says that all of these things will be outside the city, do you know what He says? This blows my mind. God who warns us and says that murderers and cheaters and falsehood and and those who sorcery and, and those who sexually immoral, all these things are going to be outside the city. And then look what He says. Read it next for me, Caleb. This is unreal. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Caleb, take me back to the scripture that says, Those who are thirsty come, the Spirit and the bride say come. Sorry. 17, thank you. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So look what he says. Sexually immoral sorcery. Liars, falsehood. You're outside the gate right now. But look what Jesus says. 
You're thirsty today. You're tired of that lifestyle. You're tired of that sin. You're tired of doing things the way on your own. No, Jesus says, come to me. It amazes me that God is so gracious to show us his word and then open it with an invitation. It amazes me that the last remaining verses of the Bible is an invitation to us to say, come, take the water of life freely. You don't have any money today? You can't make ends meet today? Doesn't matter. Come, take the water of life freely. Come. Isn't that amazing? Friends, have you said yes to the Lordship of Jesus? Have you recognized Him as Savior And have you recognized him as absolute Lord of your life? Now to finish up today. Yes, he says, I am the root and the descendant of David. Didn't he tell the the, the Pharisees that? How can Christ be a root and yet be a descendant? Isn't that fascinating? He's a descendant of David, Matthew chapter 1. He's out of the line of Mary. Yes, he's a descendant of David. But friends, he's also the root. What's that mean? What did he tell the Pharisees? Before Abraham was, I am. He is the beginning and he's the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. And how is he coming? He's coming with the recompense in his hand. And what does he say? What's the closing here? He says, behold, I come quickly. Friends, do you believe that today? If you really did, You would walk away from your sin. If you really did, you would repent today. So where's your heart? Will you hear the word? Will you obey the word of God? Will you one day find yourself outside of this city? I hope you won't. I hope you'll pay close attention. Caleb, read the last few verses for me where it says that he is coming quickly. And I'll be, Eric, you can come on and we'll begin to conclude. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. You know how I know John wasn't from southern Israel? Because he would have said, y'all. He must have been from the north part of Israel. The grace of God be with you. Precious, precious people. The grace of God is here today. Remember what we said about the great white throne judgment in chapter 20, verse 11. There's no grace on that. There's no grace. But today there's grace. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. How are your robes? That means your lifestyle. Is your lifestyle stained with sin? Would you be so embarrassed should the Lord return right now? Or are they clean? Have they been washed in the blood of the Lamb?